Good morning again. Can I just say what a joy it is to be gathered with you together on Easter morning. Uh, past 12 and a half months or so have, have been rough, and our lives have been upended in many ways. We were unable to be here last Easter, and that was, uh, that was very difficult yeah, to not be together, to celebrate our Lord. I, I missed it very much. And now we come to today, Resurrection Sunday 2021, and it's very clear to us how, how broken the world is around us and how easy it is to be overwhelmed by anxiety, worry, and concern about what we see every day. What hope is there in such a time as this? Well, I have good, but maybe it, it might sound, not sound that way, good but surprising news for you, and that news is that Jesus is not here right now. And what I mean is you will not find Jesus' physical body here on earth. He is not here. Now, why is that good news? It's good news because he is not here because he has risen from the dead. His physical body is not here, but his truth is marching on. And that truth can give us hope to face a pandemic or whatever else we may encounter on this earth. And that's the truth that we're talking about today. What do we need to know about this truth about Easter? Well, in order to find out, we're going to look at God's word. If you have a copy of the Bible or you want to use the one in the seat back in front of you, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, looking at verses 1 and 10. So Matthew, the big 28, the little numbers 1 through 10. If you want to, you can use the one in the seat back in front of you or it will also be up here on the screen. And what we do sometimes when we're reading through God's Word is because that's what we believe the Bible is. We believe it's God's Word. He's communicating to us His truth. And since that's since that's true, we often stand to honor the reading of God's word. So I would ask you, if you're there in Matthew 28 or you're looking at the screen, if you'd please stand to honor the reading of God's word. We're just going to read a few verses, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Matthew 28, verse 1 says this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you 
for the truth of your resurrection. The glorious truth that, that you are not here and that you have risen. And that means we do not have to be afraid because just as you said, you have risen to new life. I pray, God, that you'd lead us to respond to that by filling us with joy. May we worship, praise you for who you are and tell others about what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, that we would see you clearly today and every day. May this truth of Easter, the resurrection, not be something we just think about today, but something we dwell on every day because you are worthy of that thought, that praise, a life that is focused on you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his work for us. Thank you for his resurrection. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I really just want to focus on a couple verses in this uh, passage, but to do that, we need to, I need to give you a little bit of background, kind of the setting, the context, so we can understand what's happening here in this book. We are in the one book, the Bible's made up of 66 books, and this one particular one is called The Gospel or the Good News According to Matthew. And we are in chapter 28, the very last chapter of this book, the finale of the story. So I apologize, but this is some major spoiler territory right here. So um, if you wanted to read all of it, read it quickly because we're talking about the end right now. In the chapter just before this, chapter 27, Jesus died on a cross. The cross crucifixion was a capital punishment for grave criminals. It was a despicable, horrific death. He dies on a cross and then he's taken, he's placed in a tomb that's like a, more like a cave that they've carved into the side uh, of the mountain or into the ground. And so they've rolled a large stone over that grave when they placed him there. And right before the part that we read, an armed guard of Roman soldiers has been placed in charge of this tomb. The reason they're there is to prevent Jesus's disciples, his closest followers, from stealing his body. But if we read through, we'll discover that they're not planning to do that. They are brokenhearted, they are scared, and they stay far away from that tomb. And instead, what we read in this passage was that on the dawn of the first day of the week, on Sunday that week, Mary Magdalene and another Mary go to this tomb. Uh, the, this other Mary, Mary was a very popular name then. It may have been someone who earlier in the gospel is called the mother of Joseph or the mother of James and Joseph. Now, these women loved Jesus. They probably wanted to bury him more appropriately with uh, embalming and spices. This one woman, Mary Magdalene, she had been healed of demon possession, but both of them had probably followed Jesus for a long time and knew him well. This is a very courageous action from these women. They are identifying with a known criminal, someone who was just executed for breaking the law. Jesus' closest followers, his 12 apostles, disciples, they're not here, they're far away, but these women boldly go to where his tomb is. They were the last women who were left when he was on the cross. They saw where he was buried, and now they're the first to visit his tomb. They're demonstrating the courage and faithfulness of Christ-following women. The reason they wait, though, a little bit is because uh, Jews were not supposed to work on Saturday, the Sabbath, and so instead they go on Sunday, the first day of the week. And when they get there, they see something incredible. But let's just pause to think about 
this very setting and how remarkable it is. This story we're about to be told is from the eyewitness account of at least these two women, maybe some others. But it's a huge challenge to the reliability of something for to have these women be the first ones to discover the truth. Women were believed even less 2,000 years ago than they are today. Their testimony was not considered reliable. But what we see here is this message, this truth is entrusted to these women. Believe women is a message of Easter. It's the basis for our knowledge of the resurrection. When they arrive, there's a great, violent, severe earthquake. When an angel appears, perhaps using the earthquake to roll away the stone from this tomb, the angel does his work and then sits on that stone. I read another pastor, Charles Spurgeon, say, when the angel had rolled back the stone from the door, he sat on it as if to defy earth and hell ever to roll it back again. This angel descends from heaven and the Roman soldiers are terrified of his presence and power. He said to look like lightning, his clothing white as snow. This is language often used to describe heavenly beings in scripture. And so the soldiers fall on the ground. They faint, as many do in the Bible when they encounter God's angelic servants or when they encounter Jesus in his glory. This event shows Jesus' glory and majesty. Jesus didn't need an angel to come with an earthquake to roll away the stone, but it shows everyone that something important is happening here. It's a sign of Christ's victory over death. And the soldiers falling on the ground shows us that if we do not know Jesus, we will share that fate. We will fall broken before the majesty of God. But now let's really look at a couple words in our text and let's focus in and see the good news that this angel, this powerful angel, shares with these women. Even though these soldiers fall down, the angel says in verse 5, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. If you're using the sermon note sheet, your first blank is do not fear, do not be afraid. This is what the angel tells the women because he knows they are seeking, looking for Jesus. And those who seek after Jesus have no need to be afraid. His resurrection removes the need for fear. Again, Pastor Spurgeon said, only Jesus can silence the fears of trembling hearts. Only Jesus. Now, just because it's true that Jesus removes fear, that doesn't mean we go, we live recklessly, we ignore any advice from others, but it does mean we should live our life without being afraid of other people and without the fear of death because Christ has defeated death. In another part of the Bible, a man named Paul would write, Oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is that what we did against God, our sin and rebellion against him, had separated us from God. It earns us God's judgment. And God is perfect. He has a right to seek justice, to punish sin and wrong. He is completely perfect. And all we do is wrong. And so we all deserve God's judgment. But that's what happened here. Jesus paid the price that our sin deserved. He paid our judgment on our behalf by dying on the cross. 
And this event, the resurrection, proves that that's what he did, that he died for us. The resurrection is a receipt from God. It's a guarantee that Christ, yes, has paid for the sins of those who know him. So we no longer have to be afraid. And so no matter what happens, pandemic, political strife, the threat of poverty, we can trust God. Another pastor named J.C. Ryle said, true Christians have no cause for alarm, whatever may come on the world. And look, I, I know the past year plus has been hard. I know something like an unknown illness can be scary, and the situation in the country and the world seems uncertain. But this message of Easter, one of them, is that fear should not control us. Christ should control us. Our desire to model his love to others should control us. The resurrection reminds us we do not need to be afraid because Jesus is not here. Verse 6 tells us that he is not here. The angel said, he is not here for he has risen as he said. The crucified one is no longer in that tomb. Now, on its own, that knowledge would be shocking. Somebody was just buried is not there. But when you combine it with, for he has risen, it's a source of great joy. And with those two together, it, it makes sense. In normal circumstances, you would not expect to find an alive person living in a grave in a cemetery. That wouldn't make any sense. And that's the point. Jesus is alive. He is not at this tomb. He is alive and he will never die again. He will not suffer the pain of a broken world anymore. Betrayal, torture, death, no, he lives forevermore. And that was the phrase that really struck me as I was thinking about this passage, preparing this, that phrase, he is not here. Because on its own, that sounds like a bad thing. Jesus isn't here, but it's really great news. It's actually very important that Jesus is not here on earth anymore because he has a role to play. He intercedes for us in heaven. Again, that man Paul wrote in Romans 8, he says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. He's now at the right hand of God. He indeed is interceding for us. Now, sometimes it's hard to wrap our heads around that. We think, you know, I really wish that Jesus was still here on earth. I wish he was someone I could call up and say, Jesus, what do you think about this issue or that issue? What's your opinion on this or that? But the truth is he is doing more for us in heaven now than he can do here right now. If we know him, he intercedes for us before the throne of God. He represents us before God. We're familiar a little bit with representation. This isn't a perfect analogy, but think of this. When we elect a, a congressman or a congresswoman, we expect them to go to Washington and represent us at the Capitol. If they stayed here in Pennsylvania, we'd say, well, that's great that you're here, but we elected you, we gave you a job to do there. Christ is now in heaven before us. He is not here. He represents us there, the people who he has saved. But he has not left us alone. If we know him, he's given us his Holy Spirit who's always with us to help us. And none of that would be happening if the angel did not say, he is not here. But the good news doesn't end there because more good news is that 
He's not going to be gone from this world forever. Someday he will return to reign and to rule. When Jesus rose from the grave for about 40 days or so, he appeared, he talked to people who he knew he was there, and then after that time he ascended to heaven. And after that, an angel appeared and said to his disciples and followers, said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All will see Jesus return someday. That is an immense hope for us in a time like this of COVID, pandemic, confusion. Jesus is not in the tomb. He will come again because death does not have the final say. Because, again, as the angel said, he is risen. He is not here for he has risen from the grave. Now, maybe you hear that and that sounds a little far-fetched to you, that someone could rise from the grave like Jesus did. There's actually much evidence, though, for his resurrection. The first thing we have are eyewitnesses. We have these women who were there. But if you don't believe them, I mean, Paul writes again in a longer passage, but a really great one. He says, I delivered to you a first reportance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, a man named Peter. Then he appeared to the 12, his 12 disciples and followers. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom, when Paul was writing this, are still alive, though he says some have fallen asleep and died. Then he appeared to a man named James. Then he appeared to all the other apostles, people following him. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That's a lot of people who saw Jesus. That's a lot of people to make something up, especially when you don't have social media. That's a lot of people to get a conspiracy going. That just seems far-fetched for 2,000 years ago. Beyond that, we have at least four separate ancient documents, these gospels, these stories of good news in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These ancient documents, four separate ones telling us that this happened. We have the unlikely things, like the fact that this whole knowledge of resurrection, the first people to see it were women whose testimony would not be considered reliable at that time. But yet, that, that's what we have. That makes it seem like it's not a story someone would make up in a sexist society. And then, of course, we have the fact there's, there's no body in the tomb. There's no one to point to say, yes, this is him. And then there's the result of what happened here. The result is that these followers of him, these people that Paul talks about, they became fearless followers. They were willing to, and most of them did, die for their belief in this crucified, despised criminal and their message to others that he rose from the grave. Why would they die for that unless they truly, really honestly believed that they had seen someone who was resurrected? Their actions are foolish if there is no resurrection. When we look at all this evidence and we put the results together, it seems like something is there, that something happened. We can think of it in our own country's setting. None of us is old enough to admit George Washington, but we look around us and we see evidence. We see things named after him. We see, we hear records of him. We say, yes, there probably was a guy. He probably did those things. And yes, Jesus is much further back. But some of the other things we believe happened back then, we have less evidence. 
I've heard it said though, there was a general from Carthage named Hannibal. He very famously led elephants over the Alps, but we have less evidence that that happened than we have that the resurrection of Jesus happened. So if it sounds far-fetched to you, I encourage you, look at the evidence and ask yourself, what is the most plausible explanation? What happened on that morning? And if you're able to acknowledge, okay, maybe something happened then, but why is that important? Well, the resurrection is important because it's proof that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God's son, the Messiah, the Savior. And as I talked about a few minutes ago, it's proof that he has paid for sin, that Jesus is and was our substitute, and his sacrifice has been accepted by God. Another book in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, says of Jesus that he himself likewise partook of the same things. It means talking about our flesh and blood. He became flesh and blood. He became human, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and then deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Some of the songs that the worship team was just singing talked about this. It talked about how we're free, our chains are broken. We've been set free from sin, slavery, the control of our rebellion against God, and the inevitable eternal death that follows. Because of the resurrection, those who know Jesus are now free. This is extremely important, this message, this truth, this reality of the resurrection. Because if we didn't have this, then we would have no guarantee that we have an eternal future. A couple minutes ago, I read that passage where Paul was talking about all the people who had seen Jesus. He listed all those people. Well, just a little bit after that, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. You are still in slavery. But his message is, oh, but it is true. And since it's true, it gives us hope for today and hope for the future. One of Jesus' followers named Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And how did this come about? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what does that give us? It gives us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that is kept in heaven for you. Our hope for eternity rests in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will be raised from death as he was if we know him. One man I quoted earlier, Pastor Ryle, said, When we die, where we are buried, what kind of funeral we have, those things matter little. The great question to be asked is this, how shall we rise again? That's the important question. So look, if you don't want to believe that the resurrection is true, that it's real, I, I can't make you do that. I can't force you to believe that. But I want to be very clear about what you're doing if you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, you are purposely choosing a life that ends in hopelessness and pointlessness. Because if there is no resurrection, then nothing matters. Nothing we do here will matter or last. Yes, you can make life a little bit better, for some other people, but who's to say someone else won't come along and take away, destroy all the good that you did? The life without a belief in the resurrection is a pointless life. 
and I choose to live for something more. And I would hope that you would choose, would want to live for something more. Yes, there's much to fill our life with on this earth. There's many things we can pursue and do, but will what we do last? Will what we do matter? If we know Jesus, if our life is about him, then it will last. It will matter because he has defeated death and following him lasts for eternity. That's true because Jesus Christ is God and he knew all these things were going to happen to him. Again, back in verse six, these things happened just as he said. The angel says, he is not here for he has risen as he said. He knows, he knew the future. And Jesus always keeps his word and does what he says. In just this gospel, this book that we're reading, Matthew, he multiple times tells his disciples what is going to happen to him. Back in chapter 16, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, that he would be killed and on the third day, be raised. A chapter later, it says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And even though they've heard it before, they were greatly distressed by this. And then a few chapters later, he says, see, we are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. See, Matthew says this three times for emphasis. If you would read Matthew's story of Jesus or Mark's or Luke, you'd see the same thing three times before. At least he said what was going to happen. This shows us that the resurrection is not an addition to the story of Jesus, but an important part of it. It's not that somebody collected the writings of Jesus and then said, I'm going to make up that he rose from the dead at the end. No, the author was thinking about this the whole time as these gospels were put together. Matthew is very clear about what Jesus said and what happened. More than that, he even told them where he was going to meet them after he rose from the grave. As the angel said that he is going before you to Galilee, A few chapters earlier, Jesus says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And that's what the angel tells them, tells the women, tell Jesus' disciples, his closest followers, what had happened and where they are to meet him. I'll talk more about that in a second, but for right now, let's look at these verses again. The angel says, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Do you believe this? Because this message in truth makes all the difference in the world. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And if you don't, I'll ask you, then what do you think happened on that morning 2,000 years ago? If you believe it, or you're at least willing to consider, yes, it, it seems like something happened then. Then my question is, do you know that man? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you turned away from your sin and your rebellion against God? Have you rejected that and instead placed your hope and trust 
in Christ alone and that he has done the work for you and that he and he alone can represent you before God. I would encourage you to reject your sin, to call on him for salvation today. Don't wait, but call on him today. Come to know him and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because this truth of the resurrection, it's something that we could explore, we could talk about and reflect upon for all eternity. And and frankly, we probably will. But at the end of the day here, we must respond to its truth. How do we respond to this truth of the resurrection? Well, the passage we read, I feel gives us at least three responses we can have. One response we can have to the resurrection is joy. Joy. Verse 8 tells us that the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to tell his disciples. Another translation, the NIV puts it, they were afraid yet filled with joy as they went. They still had some fear, some uncertainty, but our text doesn't say they had great fear. No, it says they had great joy. They knew that this resurrection was good news. This combination of fear and joy, we see it in scripture. Psalm 2 says, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. This is the truth of the resurrection. It can turn our fear into joy. And I think that's an incredible parallel observation. That is the opposite of fear. Sometimes there's a lot of things I hear about fear nowadays and the opposite of that. The opposite of fear isn't we get angry and the opposite of fear isn't you can't tell me what to do. It's not recklessness. The opposite of fear is joy in God, joy because of what Jesus Christ has done. On Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, we should have joy. And that joy should produce another response. That joy should lead us to worship to worship and praise God. Verses 9 and 10 say, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up, they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. As the women are going to tell the disciples, Jesus meets them. He greets them. He calls them to rejoice. They're doing what Jesus commanded and they run into him, showing us we meet Christ as we follow him. And when they find Christ, they grasp, they clasp, they take hold of his feet. Just another little evidence of that resurrection. They not only saw something, heard an angel, but they touched someone. They touched his feet. They were real. He really rose. He wasn't a ghost. He was real. And that means he's worthy of praise. Jesus in turn comforts the women in their fear says, do not be afraid as they worship him. And this is perhaps the only appropriate context for fear in our lives is that we have a holy fear of reverence for God an understanding and a knowledge that God is great and oh, we, we are not. It should produce an attitude of worship, of humble praise before our Lord. Jesus accepts their worship. He doesn't have to hide who he is anymore because only God is to be worshiped and Jesus is God. This is actually a a song we sang today. had some of these words in it. In the book of Revelation, we read, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. 
We sang that in one of our songs. But here it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, and glory, and blessing. This is the last book of the Bible talking about what it looks like to praise Jesus. He was like a lamb in that he died to pay for sin. And he should receive all of these things, power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Jesus then reminds the women of their task. They're to tell his brothers, the disciples, to go to Galilee. And maybe that meeting they have in Galilee, maybe that's the setting of what Paul talked about when he said more than 500 people saw him at one time. Maybe that's where they're going. But these words remind us that our life is to be about praising our Lord and Savior for who he is and for what he has done. But notice the women didn't stop with praise. Once we praise, we we shouldn't stop with that, but instead we should desire that others join in this praise as well. And so their final response is to tell others what has happened, to tell others Jesus encourages them to do that. But if you remember back in verse six, the very last phrase says, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The angel invites the women, look at the empty tomb. The body is supposed to be there, but it's not there. Your sin, your rebellion against God led to his death. You saw them place his body there, but look, it is not there anymore. Death could not hold him in that tomb. And once they see it, they are then to go to tell the disciples, the 11 remaining apostles, others who follow Jesus, to tell them to go to Galilee, the place where Jesus did most of his work when he was alive. And remember, we read earlier, it's where Jesus told them to go. Jesus said he would meet them there. He will go before them and ahead of them. Other gospels, other stories of Jesus talk about different details of what happened that day. They focus on different things. Matthew's gospel focuses on that reunion in Galilee. Jesus was raised to life and then they saw him there in Galilee. And it focuses on its significance. And the significance is that as the women had a job to do on Easter morning, so do we. The resurrection gives us a mission because when they get to Galilee and see Jesus, he gives his disciples and all his future followers a mission, a commission, a job to do. The very last words of Matthew after they've reached Galilee are go therefore and make disciples, followers of me of all nations baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These responses that we talk about here should go in this sequence. We should have joy in that Christ has risen from the grave. That joy should lead us to worship and praise God and then give us a desire to bring others to worship and praise him as well. Our joy, our worship should compel us to tell others what does the resurrection mean. And as the angel said, we should go quickly and do this. We do not know how much time we have. Look, any time, but especially this time, it feels a very confusing and uncertain time in the world. There is much to debate about what should or shouldn't be done, about coronavirus, politics, world situations, so many things. And all these things are important discussions to have. But the most 
important discussion is to tell others about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. I'm not saying don't talk about those other things, but if we know Jesus, this is the mission that he has given. He doesn't say, go therefore and tell people how to respond to a virus. Go therefore and debate about politics. No, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I pray that this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, would remind you of what truly is most important in this life, if you know him. Because at the end of our lives, God will examine every aspect of our life, but he'll focus on a few things. What did we do about Jesus? Probably first ask, do we know him? Do you know Jesus and have a relationship with him? And then did you share about him with others? And those are the questions I pray you'll think about as you leave. Do I know Jesus? Have I turned rejected sin and believed in him that he controls and defines my life? And then do I aim to share him with others and bring others to worship and praise him? If you don't know him, I, I pray that you would come to know him. That's a conversation I can have with you. If someone invited you today, you could talk with them about it. If you're online, you can reach out with email or, or calling us. That's something to, to solve, to figure out today. Do I know Jesus? The stakes are eternal for that question. And then if you do know him, will you commit to live for him and to share him with others, to tell others about the wonderful good news that the resurrection is? Because if you're doing that, then you will truly be celebrating Easter and truly celebrating Christ's resurrection.